Hey, and welcome uh, to NASA Edge. We're here at NASA Kennedy Space Center's press site as we get set for the launch of the Geostationary Observational Environmental Satellite, or the GOES-R satellite. I had a chance to sit down with the project manager for GOES, Greg Mant, at NOAA's Satellite Operations Facility in Maryland. So let's check that out. So Greg, I understand that GOES-R is a game-changing satellite. How is it? GOES-R is really a continuation of a long series of geostationary weather satellites. NOAA started flying them uh, soon after NASA demonstrated the technology in the 1970s. But ever since we started with GOES-1 back in the mid to 1970s, we have flown about the same technology now for 40 years. Oh, wow. This is the first time that we are from end to end redoing the entire system to introduce state-of-the-art technology into the GOES program. So it's a very exciting time for those of us who love building satellites to introduce a lot of new technologies, but also for the users who are gonna see, like you said, a game changer in their world of new data sets, different ways of getting it, that will really help them in their forecast process. I mean, essentially, it's, this is a complete overhaul. It's a complete overhaul. Every aspect of the program is being changed. So Greg, I understand that this satellite is packed with a, a lot of instruments and a lot of cool stuff. Every instrument is upgraded and improved over what we've flown in the past. Our primary instrument is what we're calling our advanced baseline imager. In the past, we've had about five channels. We're gonna have 16 channels. So we're, we're tripling the number of channels. The resolution in the visible spectrum is gonna get doubled. So we're gonna get a half a kilometer resolution in the visible. Plus, we're scanning at a tremendously faster rate. So we'll be able to scan the entire hemisphere from the North Pole to the South Pole every five minutes. So when you combine all those, three of those things, we're gonna have a, an amazing amount of data coming down to the forecaster so they really understand all the weather activity that's going on across the hemisphere and really improve their ability to forecast and warn. Now, of course, the first letter in GOES is geostationary. What does that mean uh, for in the scientific community? Well, geostationary basically means it's at an altitude that its orbit is going around the Earth at the same rate that the Earth is rotating. Therefore, from an observer on the Earth looking up, it appears that the satellite is always over you at every point. And that's what's really nice for the imager is when you take loops, it is really a movie of what's happening over you right now. NOAA's responsibilities for forecasting really go from the far western Pacific out to Guam, all the way to the west coast of Africa, primarily for like tropics and watching the hurricanes form. So we need two GO satellites to cover that whole area. Okay. The critical part of the mission is continuity. So like I said, we've been flying it since, since the 1970s. Right. So we're basically continuing that, and we've got to continue to populate the atmosphere as the old ones reach the end of their life and we remove them from orbit. We replace them with the new capability. Okay, so as a, as a, as a meteorologist, as a, a, a climatologist, what's cool about this satellite that I can't wait to see in terms of uh, data or imagery? The, the biggest thing from our forecasters, and, and I'm getting it directly from them because we've been actually feeding simulated data to them to get them used to the data product. And so they're getting pretty excited. In fact, uh, they're a very tough crowd to please. You gotta really prove it to them that it's valuable. Right. But when we've been showing this stuff, the comments we've been getting back like, wow, <laughs> I want this in my office yesterday. Come on, hurry, hurry, hurry. So we have really built up a lot of excitement out there. and. The biggest thing they've said to me is, you know, in the old goes, it's like you were showing us pictures of what's been happening. Now, 
you're showing me a movie of real time. But even better, in the past, I was watching old black and white television. You're showing me HDTV. So when you do that, example like a hurricane or tornado, you are watching every aspect of it and see how this is forming and how it's right. changing so that you can very quickly say, ah, I know what's going on. I'm gonna put this warning on tell the public. And because of the faster scanning and the higher resolution, you can get much more precise knowledge of what's going on and where. In addition, we're adding a lightning mapper. And so for the first time, we'll be able to see not only cloud to ground, but cloud to cloud lightning. Right now, there's the surface network that show cloud to ground. Okay. But about 90% of lightning is cloud to cloud. And the researchers have shown that if you're watching all this, there's an incredible spike up of lightning activity as a tornado is just getting ready to form. Oh, wow. And so now, you know, maybe 30 minutes ahead of time, they'll see this huge burst of lightning activity and they're gonna go, oh, we're gonna focus on that and be able to say, yes, indeed, a tornado is gonna start now. And so they'll be able to extend the lead time in terms of their tornado warnings. And even more importantly, when, when you hear there's a tornado warning in your county, what is right. your response? I know mine is, I run to the door that, to see that, it, right? I mean, that's, just, that, that's true, that's true. And a lot of that is because, you know, there's a lot of, well, is it really? You know, there's so much false alarms because right. you, they sort of overwore to make sure mm -hmm. people are prepared. Well, now, because of this new data sets, their certainty that it's coming is gonna double. So that means they're not gonna pull that alarm nearly as often. And when they do, people know, oh, I gotta take this serious and, and act. So that improvement in the certainty of that specific thing and, and where it's happening, I think will, will dramatically improve the warning process. And the forecasters love to be able to give much more precise information to the public to be able to respond. Joining us now is Greg Mance's deputy, Ed Grigsby. Ed, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. So uh, Gozar, obviously, uh, we're going to launch today, and it's going to be a great success. Looking yeah. forward, you've got four, three more spacecraft after Gozar. That's right. And how are they going to look in comparison to Gozar? Or, I mean, I imagine by the time they're done, there'll be more technology and more things you can bring into the spacecraft. Well, we have actually built four duplicates, and four of them, all of the instruments for all four of the spacecraft are complete and ready to be integrated. And in fact, uh, Lockheed has uh, already integrated S and is in environmental testing. T is being integrated, U is being integrated as we, as we speak. So we're gonna have four identical spacecraft, four satellites that are gonna going to just blow your socks off. They will. <laughs> now, will it take uh, having all four satellites uh, launched and flying to give us the real full impact of GOES, or, or, or what are we going to get immediately from uh, GOES-R flying? Well, we're going to take uh, about six months to test and make sure that all the systems work, all the data is flowing properly. And once that test phase is over with, we hand it over to the operators. The operators start flowing data. Mm. That is going to be immediate. When it starts flowing through the weather service, you're going to see better forecasts in the continental United States immediately. Um, from your perspective, uh, where are you going forward? Are you and your team, obviously you said Lockheed's still already doing the development, but in terms of GOES-S, T, and U, 
are, are this is the same team moving forward to Assemblist? Will you be working on oh, that yeah. as well? Yeah, I'll be working and uh, the same team for STNU and and uh, the a lot of the real hard work is just beginning with this system. It is a system of systems. It's not just the satellite. There's a huge ground system uh, infrastructure that was built and prepared many years of preparing the users out there to accept and use this data effectively. Now, now you mentioned users. That would be um, forecasters and things forecasters. like that? Well, not only forecasters, but you know, we have, these are real scientific instruments. We calibrated them to the same quality that, that NASA calibrates all of its scientific instruments. And that data is gonna be available to universities and anybody that can, can get to it. It's free data. It'll be freely distributed. They're going to be able to, to use that data for new discoveries. So you're gonna see just giant leaps over the next 10, 20 years from the Gozar system. That's awesome. It's, it's free data, folks, so don't miss out. That's right. And thanks right. so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Earlier, Franklin had an opportunity to talk to Vanessa Griffin, Satellite Operations Director at NOAA, talking about the benefits of Gozar. Let's check it out. So, Vanessa, you are the director of the NOAA Satellite Operations Facility. That's right. Tell me exactly what do you do here? So I lead a very large team that is responsible for operating all of the nation's weather environmental satellites. So we operate the satellites that NOAA has built and operated. We operate satellites with the Department of Defense, the DMSP satellites. We operate the DOE satellites, the POSE satellites, all the satellites, about 16 in total right now. And we collaborate with international partners in helping to operate their satellites as well that collect meteorological and environmental data. Now, when I drove up to this building, I looked at it and I said, this is a very interesting looking building. It's very modern. Tell us a little bit about the building. So this building was designed in you know, the early 2000s. It was actually opened in 2006. It was very unique because for the first time, we got to take a clean sheet of paper and say, if we're building a facility just to operate weather satellites and do data processing for those satellites, how would you design it? And so we designed it from ground up to be a good building for doing this function. So where we're in here is our operations facility, our floor. So all of our day-to-day, 24-7 operations goes on here in this big room. And then behind us, we have our launch control room. So we built this building so we could launch two satellites. We could start getting ready to launch two satellites at the same time, knowing we would be launching a Gozar satellite and a JPSS satellite pretty much at the same time. So it takes about two years for the launch team to practice and go through all their simulations. So they have to have a space to do that. So we created two launch control rooms next door. We have the floor downstairs where everybody has their offices and, and their desks and their do their day-to-day work. So that it was a good opportunity to design a building just for the purposes for which we needed. So in this operations facility, you also have a search and rescue. Tell me yeah. about that. Okay, so we have what's called SARSAT which is search and rescue satellite aided tracking. So basically all of our weather satellites and not only ours, but our international partners as well, carry instrumentation on board that can detect beacons that mariners, boaters, hikers, aircraft pilots, they carry these beacons with them. And if they get in trouble, they can turn the beacon on. It sends a signal out, starts radiating a signal. That signal gets picked up by our satellites and it gets sent back to here, to our mission control center here and then we basically detect that signal. We have a database of all those beacons that you buy. So if you like to hike, you go down to your local REI store, your local store, and you buy a beacon for you know whatever it costs, 
and you register it with us. So you register it with our database, you, you know, your name, your address, your phone number. And then if you get in trouble on a hike, if you fall down and hurt yourself or something happens and you need help, you just push a button. Next time a satellite comes over, we find the signal. It basically takes two satellites to triangulate where you are, and we find out where you are within about 15 kilometers. And then we will then verify that the signal is real, that beacon, that beacon is registered, and who it's registered to. Then we contact the local rescue authority, whoever that is. So if you're offshore in a boat, sailboat, we're gonna call the Coast Guard. So if you're an aircraft that has a beacon that the aircraft has crashed, we'll contact the Air Force, who's responsible for air, aircraft kind of incidents. We rescue about 300 people a year based on our satellite data as contributes and is, you can basically say that rescue happened because of the satellite system, the SARSAT system. And since the beginning of time, if you look at the whole globe, it's been like over 40,000 rescues around the globe because of this international SARSAT system. So if I hung out here for a week, the chances are something would happen over there where some... Oh, could... probably if you were here for an hour, you might, we might get an <laughs> alert. We get alerts quite often. So also when I came in, I saw on the sign where it said, ICE facility. Mm -hmm. What is ICE? Okay, so it's a collaboration between the Navy, NOAA, and the Coast Guard. They use satellite data to look at the ice over the Arctic and Antarctic and other parts of the world. They also do snow mapping and snow depth analysis over the whole world. But their predominant thing is ice. So they're looking at ice in the Arctic and in the Antarctic, and they're helping mariners who are trying to get through the ice. They're trying to take their ships cargo ships, container ships, and get through the ice. They're helping icebreakers, the Coast Guard icebreakers that go out and rescue things or help people get through the ice. We're determining where the ice is and also where the ice isn't. So we're basically helping them plot a course through an ice-infested waters that allow them to transit without getting stuck. But that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid any ship getting stuck in the ice anywhere. Now, even though this building is fairly new, you actually had to change the infrastructure to actually manage the satellite operations for GOSAR. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when we designed this building back in the early 2000s, um, we had made assumptions about the technology that we would need to fly the next generation of satellites. And unfortunately, the technology made a major change over that time since we started building it. So when we actually got in and we did the design for GOSAR, we realized that the technology had changed so dramatically that we needed a whole lot more power and a lot more cooling because we've gone to RAID architectures and servers, spinning disks that generate tremendous amounts of heat and, produce, and require lots of power. So the power we had in the building, the cooling we had just wasn't sufficient. As a matter of fact, it was so insufficient, we could not even just like enhance it, like, you know, change it or, you know, beef it up. We had to like start over. So we had very carefully over a period of years to take out all the generators and replace them with new generators that were much bigger. We had to replace all the water cooling systems, the, the chillers. And basically we've maximized the amount of power we can ever get into this building that the county can ever provide to us. The utility company, we've, we've basically maxed out everything we can take from them. For GOSAR? For, well, for GOSAR and JPSS together. Okay. The two big generations, the two big flagship satellites together. They each have very large ground systems with lots of computers, lots of servers, the whole third floor of this building. Matter of fact, the third floor had to be doubled in size. We, But half of it at the time when the design was for computers, the other half was for different rooms and, and spaces and classrooms and things. We basically had to like, make the whole thing one huge computer floor to make sure we have the good reliability and redundancy that we need in the power systems and to be able to operate all these new satellites that are gonna be start flying next year with GOES-R.
Hey, welcome back to NASA Edge. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the GOES spacecraft uh, over the course of the past uh, 45 minutes or so, and now we're going to switch focus to the Atlas V rocket. And joining us now is our good friend of the show, Mick Waltman. Uh, Mick, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Chris. Thank you very much. Yesterday, we had a chance uh, to go out to the pad uh, and, and, and see the, the Atlas V up close. And this is the first time that uh, we've seen a Atlas V 541 launch here from Kennedy. We've seen one, I think, from uh, Vandenberg. That is a, that's a monster rocket. It is. Uh, the Atlas V is, a, is about 200 feet tall with that five meter fairing on it. It looks really good. But this rocket for Gozar has the uh, four solid rocket boosters, which is, you know, give it that extra lift to get into geostationary orbit. So that'll be a great sight to see this evening. And then for those people who are, you know, I mean, we've been saying 541, uh, you know, at the beginning of the show and now. So that 541, correct me wrong, the five stands for the, the diameter of the fairing? That's correct. Okay. Five meter fairing. Uh, the four is how many solid rocket boosters are needed. And then the one is how many uh, upper stage engines we use. And in this case, it's a single engine RL-10. Let's, let's go back to the whole spacecraft, uh, spacecraft processing side. Uh, uh, Mix is our, our resident expert when it comes to that. So we're, we're looking at some footage here of Gozar being uh, Yeah, so you're here. seeing Gozar arriving uh, at the uh, skid strip there uh, on Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. That's a C-5, is it? That's a C-5, okay. yeah. It's because of the size of the satellite. Correct. It's a very large satellite. This is, you know, as you heard earlier about the satellite, it's going to provide some great uh, instruments and, and stuff for the weather community, and that'll be okay. good. You're seeing the satellite here moved over into the payload processing facility uh, where they uh, brought it upright and started preparing uh, the vehicle for testing. Here, what mm -hmm. you're looking at here is actually one of their test covers okay. that they put on the instrument, the ABI instrument. Um, to uh, test that out and make sure everything's working prior to uh, uh, closing everything up. Here you're seeing them do a lot of cleaning of the solar array panels to make sure everything's crisp clean so they get power up when they're on station there. And then they move into the encapsulation, uh, put those five meter fairings uh, together around that big satellite. And uh, you can see how they bring that together with the strong backs. Next thing we see is the uh, Centaur uh, vehicle arriving uh, at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station from over the road. That got to us uh, here roughly around in October, and uh, they moved that over to the uh, ASOC, the Atlas Space Flight Operations Center, and uh, did some testing there and then brought that out. Here what you're looking at is the uh, first stage booster uh, heading out to the uh, VIF, where they'll begin uh, getting it ready to lift up into the vertical integration facility. Uh, okay, okay, I was gonna ask yeah. you what that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is what we call booster on stand, and that occurred here on October 24th and uh, they get that uh, booster all hooked up and uh, lift it from the front end, as you can see right there. Mm -hmm. And then the back end of the vehicle kind of slides on the trucks right into the uh, vertical integration facility, and uh, they prep that up. The next step of putting the vehicle together is to put those massive 62-inch uh, solid rocket boosters on. And here you can see how they brought uh, each one of those in, and they have to lift those up all the way uh, to the top of the VIF bring those uh, back down and mate each one in their location on the booster. And those are live at this point, right? Those are They're loaded, loaded and right. ready to mm -hmm. go. Okay. Um, they just have to have the final ordinance connect okay. done. And that was completed uh, October 28th to get all four of those all on. Right. Here you see what we call the offsite vertical integration. It's actually the uh, Centaur with its uh, uh, other assemblies around it mm -hmm. heading out and being mated to the top of the vehicle. And then on top of that, we roll the uh, spacecraft, the encapsulated spacecraft out. And that uh, happened on November 9th. That was our spacecraft mate day. And they bring that to the base of the vertical integration facility. They lift that up all the way to the top and into the tower. And they mate that to the top of the uh, Centaur uh, integration stack. 
um, there to complete the uh, buildup of the Atlas V 4.1 um, for the GOES-R mission. And you can see it's a very delicate uh, um, operation there right. as they bring those in and they move that down very slowly to get those final mates done uh, to the uh, assembly. We can always count on Mick to uh, get up-to-date information on, on the rocket and also the processing. And, and we like to go to him every time we, uh, we cover a launch. Uh, he's the man. And uh, we really appreciate you coming out here once again. I mean, appreciate it's, it's, it. I, um, this is, like I said, it's a great uh, rocket this evening. Gozar has a long history with us in the launch service program. We actually started working with NOAA and Goz back on the uh, Goz-L mission in 2000. Oh, oh, wow. So we've done Goz-L and M. And then we were advisors on GOES N, O, and P for them, where we provided our unique services uh, to the commercial industry right. with the spacecraft. And so GOES R is just the next step in weather satellites, and we're very proud to be part of that partnership. And you'll be covering the next three satellites as well. Absolutely. Right. GOES S in uh, March 2018. There we go. So you heard it from the man himself, uh, and we're going to go back at the pad and see Space Launch Complex 41 as we see that huge Atlas V. Uh, 541 uh, launch vehicle as it, as it goes R, it gets ready to launch. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And liftoff of NOAA's GOES R, America's most advanced weather eye in the sky elevating environmental intelligence to new heights and saving lives. He has got a closer control. Get your response, looks good. Now find the zero angle attack phase of flight. Fire rates look good. Booster has throttled down and scheduled. Response looks good. Roll program is complete. Fire rates controlling down the middle. Listening to the voice of Marty Malinowski. Mach 1. Standing by to pass through Max Q. This is the maximum aerodynamic pressure area. When mechanical stress on the rocket reaches its peak because of the Our rocket's velocity and resistance good. created by the atmosphere, NASA's Atlas V and goes our spacecraft continue into flight. You know, a real testament to uh, just how much goes into making these launches goes off. We got to hear the poll. Did you say it goes in and goes? Goes R, goes R, goes off. Yeah, exactly. Just to see all the things that are necessary before launch. Right. It's very fascinating. Very happy to see it go. It doesn't get old. When you see an Atlas V, any type of rocket goes up. But like I said, an Atlas V four one that was that was pretty impressive. So this signs off our portion of the, of the show, and uh, we're gonna follow Goes R all the way until. Uh, so it gets checked out and, <laughs> and we start getting the data. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. do we start getting data? That's what's real important. You're watching NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA.